The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Stephanie Hansen, welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast. We are episode number 21. And if you are enjoying these podcasts, I would really appreciate it if you could rate them on whatever means you are listening to them on. Um, It helps other people find the podcast and it makes it more popular so that we can spread the word about all of the great work that is happening for the makers of Minnesota. We do have a Facebook page where you can find some expanded content and links to any of the podcasts that you may have missed. We also have a Twitter account. And I would encourage any of you, if you think that there are makers that I need to know about, send their information my way. We're always looking for interesting people to interview, and we really appreciate all the input. In this particular episode, we are actually talking to a woman who you probably know as Salsa Lisa. I know her as Lisa or Salsa Lisa. In fact, before we even started the podcast, I had to ask her her last name. I'm pleased to welcome Lisa Nicholson, who is of Salsa Lisa fame, to the podcast. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Stephanie. So how are things going in uh, the world of salsa? Uh, the world of salsa is always fun. It's always enjoyable. And right now we're very, very busy. Very exciting time for us at Salsa Lisa. Um, all kinds of things going on and and good things and, again, very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and start with your backstory because I think that you were one of the first people I know that started actually at a farmer's market selling product that was unable to take it to multi-level distribution. So tell me the origi- origins of your story, as it were. Sure. Um so the very the very beginning was a well I was in college actually in I was going to say you're uh-huh. still a very young woman yep um, wasn't that long ago right <laughs> um, uh, uh, in college um, at law school I had grown a garden in my backyard and I planted several several tomato plants um, it was kind of a rookie uh, venture because I planted all the same plant and I had a bumper crop and I had twelve tomato plants I'm in college. Wow. And I had I had literally tomatoes rolling off of my windowsills sure. and every inch of my counters top. So I didn't want to waste any tomatoes. I canned tomatoes. My mom grew up in a farm. Um I was very uh instinctive to can tomatoes or, Where did you grow up? I grew up in Wiper Lake. Okay. Pretty much. But my mom grew up in Roseau, Minnesota. Sure. So we'd go up there every summer. My grandma would put up, you know, tomatoes and yep. cucumbers and all that. So I set off to try and do that, and that's a lot of work, and I still had so many tomatoes. So finally I decided, um, oh, I know. I like to cook. I like to have, I like to entertain, and what I'll do is I'll have a salsa party, and I will take all these tomatoes and make salsa, and I know exactly how I'm going to make it because I like, when I, when I like something, I pay attention to it. And so I had something in mind, and I made salsa. Had a bunch of people over, um, had a great party, had a lot of fun. Um, everybody loved the salsa. And in fact, I did it again. So, because I still had so many tomatoes, we did it again. <laughs> um, and then people came to me and started saying, you know, 
you have any more of your salsa and um, uh, I, I'd buy it from you and you should really think about selling it. It's the best salsa I've ever had. So as I'm getting through the school year and trying to study for my finals that spring, um, I, it's still, it's on my mind. Too many people have mentioned it to me. It's, yeah. I'm distracted by it. I can't seem to focus. I look down on my study page and I've got all of the drawings for the logo for Salsa Lisa, which is still the same letters that are on the jar today. Um, and so I, I, I thought to myself, oh, this is so distracting. I can't get this out of my mind. So I'm, I decided I would take it to the farmer's market. Yep. And I got, I found it, uh, Caterer's Kitchen that I was able to work out of by the hour and worked out an agreement. And what I would do is um, I would uh, work in the restaurant, bartend at night. And then four hours later, I when I got home from work, I'd load up my pickup truck and I'd go to the farmer's market. So at this point, you're going to school, you're bartending, mm-hmm. and you're selling salsa. Yep. Okay. Yep. Wow. Yep. And that first day at the farmer's market, I look back on it and... Just it still makes me smile. Um, when I tried to sign up at the farmers market, all the all the spots were taken. Yep. Um, but uh, the, the guy down there said, "You know, we often have spots open up. So tell you what, just show up um, Saturday morning, uh, and and I'll let you know." He said. I, so I did, and he said, "Okay, stand over there and the, by the chain link fence. It's dark <laughs> at this point, you know." It's, it's before Were dawn. Were you at the Minneapolis Farmer's Market? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go stand over at the fence, and if something opens up, I'll let you know. So I remember I had my little truck loaded with salsa and coolers, and I was standing by the chain link fence in the dark. Do you remember and, how much you'd made at this point? Yeah. I probably had seven cases okay. with me. Okay, which 12, is a lot. Yeah, 12 jars uh, in all the cases. So, yeah. And a little under 100 jars, and I'm standing there, and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing exactly here? <laughs> What are, you, what are you thinking now? What are yeah. you, what, what's brought you Did you, you feel like a fraud? Well, I felt, I, I actually was kind of laughing at myself. It's like, okay, here you go. Right. And uh, and the guy came by and he said, kid, you're on. You got a spot. And I'm like, oh, interrupted my thought process. And I just grabbed my stuff and opened up. And within two hours, I had sold out of every jar that I had. Did you sample? Yep. Okay. Yep. I opened up a jar. I opened up one jar of each and sampled everybody. It's it's a was a really great marketing research experiment for me to bring my product down there because you talk to everybody. Yeah. And they'll come back week after week, year after year. You get to know who your customers are. You get to know where they shop. You get to know, um, you just, and actually you get to know them. Yeah. How and, many years did you work at the farmer's market? Well, I think I was there about four or five years. Okay. Because after that, after that momentum built and then I was done with school, I was at a crossroads. Do I actually take my law degree? And yeah, but, but but really, by this time, I had forfeited any sort of internship and had been doing that. But I still had it, and I still had passed the bar, and I was ready to go. But um, I, my business was also getting to a point that you know it it was feeling more real. And so at that point, can I just ask you a question? Were your parents yeah. dying that you'd gone to law school, you had the bar, you passed the bar, and here you are selling salsa at a farmer's market and thinking, oh, this is going to be my business. Right. Exactly. Um, there was probably some head scratching. Yeah. Um, but uh, also, actually, it was after that first year um, that I did that, I went back to law school. And then after the second year, and you come back into that super type A environment. 
and everybody, you know, checking everybody out. Like, what'd you do this summer? Yep. And where'd you clerk or where'd you intern? What'd you do? And they'd come to me and I'd be, and I'd say, well, I, uh, I went down to the farmer's market and sold salsa out of the back of my pickup truck, like a carny. <laughs> and that's what I did and bartended all summer. And they just kind of look at me and I'm like. And at this point, did you have a relationship with farmers that had product or were you still growing the product at home? So at that point, um, I was getting, I, I had found a, a supplier, a wholesale okay. um, produce supplier, and um, it had established a relationship with them at that point. But I, during the farmer's market, I did only sell um, during the winter. And then after I graduated from law school, then that's when I took a good hard look at my business and what I would need and um, decided to pursue it. And what I needed to do at that point then was move out of farmer's market mode, out of um, out of mason jars yep. and, that, and, and develop a finished product uh, container that was um, tamper evident and that I could sell to conventional grocery stores. And, and in the day, because how long ago was this approximately? That was in the mid-90s. Okay, because I feel like, and I just feel like your salsa... I remember having it for the first time and thinking, oh, my God, this tastes just like my mom's and there's Mm -hmm. nothing else like this on the market. Mm -hmm. There was like, I remember um, like hot sauce, yeah, but there wasn't really like salsa and it wasn't in the refrigerated section for sure. There was stuff that was in cans or in jars on the stable shelf. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was really mind blowing. When we yeah. tried your product, it was like, "Wow, this is so much better than everything else." Right? Were you one of the first to market that way? So that's a really interesting question. So at this point, when I think about fresh salsa and shelf stable salsa, it's almost like two different product categories. Yeah, for sure. Um, they're they're we the process is different, the distribution is different, the the whole flavor profile is different. Um, in the beginning. Um, when I would talk to people about Salsa Lisa, um, I would relate it to um, if someone you knew made fresh salsa from the garden and, you know, understand I'm at the farmer's market where people are very conscientious of fresh foods, all natural foods, and a lot of them probably came to get ingredients yep. to make salsa, uh, their own salsa. So I was I was dealing with a pretty discerning crowd, um, and which was good for me. Um, and they got to try my product. And I would always relate to them. It's like when someone makes a fresh salsa for you or you go to a restaurant and you have a really good yeah. fresh salsa that the restaurant's made or you travel and you're getting, you know, you're going to places and you're, you're finding really good salsas. And I said, that's what this is like. This is like salsa, how you know it should taste, but now you can buy it at the store. Did you have to go and sell it into grocery stores? Yep. Yep. Just by yourself? Had you had yep. any sales experience? Nope. How nope. did you learn what to do? So um, so coming off of the farmer's market, the next natural step was to go into the co-ops. Yep. And so I would go into those guys one at a time, and um, I, w- I would make the sale, and I'd say, you know, I'll, I'll take your orders. I'll call you. I'll take the orders. I'll, I'll make it fresh for you. I'll bring it in. I'll distribute it myself. I'll do demos. I'll stand and, and sample the product. And what doesn't sell by its expiration date, I will buy back from you. Okay. So, so pretty low risk for them. Yes. Right. And a lot of footwork um, that went into that. But 
Do you remember at the time, like what percentage of the time you were making the salsa versus the marketing and the selling of the salsa? So I could I could make the salsa in two days. Okay. Uh, and at the beginning, it was just me and my mom. Um, I had to eventually have hired somebody else to help me. Yep. Um, and then just grew kind of an employee at a time, a couple employees at a time. Um, so we would do that in a couple of days. Uh, and then the distribution the, the more stores I picked up, uh, you know, just hustle around town yep. and get to that. And that eventually became the point when I had to go look for a distributor because I just simply couldn't reach all the stores um, at that point. And I had grown the business. So from the from the co-ops, then I went to um, Lund's was actually my first store. Oh, neat. That took me on. Yeah, that was pretty. That was a pretty exciting moment. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and and even even once... You got it authorized at Lund's. You still had to go to each individual store and convince that dairy manager yep. to take you on and 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 go through that sales process. Over. Do you remember the like first check you got from a grocer? You know, I think more. I remember the money from the farmers market because I would just have a pocket of cash yeah. and then I would just reinvest all of it just constantly okay now So how long do you think you were working and investing in the business before you took money for yourself out of the business That's always a super important question and when people um ask me about starting out Yeah make sure I always booked what I should be paid I always made that part of my expense You did from the very beginning Yeah well not from the very very beginning because it was but but once you get to a point and you drop a business plan and when I got um, my first SBA loan, and, yep. and when I, when you're structuring the cost, yes, you have to put that in. And otherwise, I would tell people, otherwise, it's just a hobby. And, yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting piece of advice because a lot mm-hmm. of people pay themselves last or never. Yep. When Okay, so I don't want to get ahead. So now you're in Lunds. Mm-hmm. You're still making things in this commercial kitchen, and you're working with a couple of employees. At what point... Like, did you run out of that? You can't make it at a commercial kitchen anymore and you need to have a factory. Um, So it was a really nice transition for me from that catering kitchen um, because as as my business grew, the space right next door to her opened up and she needed more office space. So she took half and I took the other half. Oh, cool. Yep. We opened a wall in between. And so I didn't need to... Um, duplicate all of the like washware equipment and things yep. like that, so I could build a very specific um, kitchen for salsa production. We shared employees. When her lunch catering business was over, her employees would come in, they'd clean up, and then they'd come work for me. So I'd stagger my. That's day. cool. Yeah. So it it dovetailed. We yeah. just you know you and didn't get. Did too her far. business grow at the same time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yep. And I didn't get too far ahead of myself then, as far as overhead. Um, just kept it all very sales, you know, in line with what sales were. Um, so I built that first kitchen, um, and within five years had outgrown that space. The next kitchen that I built was quite a bit big, bigger, right? And that was more of a jump, and that's when the SBA loan came in, and that's when um, I was there at that next kitchen for ten years. So let's talk about the SBA loan. I had an SBA loan. You've had an SBA loan. I think people are surprised that to get an SBA loan, you A, need a business plan, mm-hmm. B, proven track record of success, yes. and then you still have to sign your house or whatever yep. collateral you happen to have in order to get the loan. Were you surprised by that? Yep. 
Yeah, I was too. I felt like, wow, I've really arrived. I've got money Mm -hmm. in the bank. I've got a solid business plan. The business I can show you, you know, five years of growth. And you're still asking me to sign away from my house. Like, what is the point? Yep. And the rate isn't too no, great either. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the rate was pretty high. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I was surprised by that. And you think, you know, how how hard is it yeah. to get cash? And, and actually, as a small business owner, that that is your that is the hardest part. And this was, I'm assuming, before the recession too. Yep. 2008 was the recession. So yep. were you finding that being a woman business owner, getting money was fairly easy? Um, well, after that first initial, um, it that was easy only because I had a pretty good track record yep. at that point. And so I did, I did have money in the bank and I did have sales, ongoing sales, and I had... You know, my business plan included new sales and things like that. So you're making this seem really um, easy Mm -hmm. and you're very smart and the business is growing and you're putting money in the bank and you're paying yourself. Can you tell me about a time that it wasn't so easy and that you were because I know that you've had them where you were just like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this one more second. Oh, sure. Uh, Absolutely. And in fact, in the beginning, it, you were la- when you were talking about shelf stable and refrigerated. Yep. Everybody knew what shelf stable salsa was, and and so Pace and the other ones sure. out there introduced the category. Um, then what I did was elevate it mm-hmm. and bring a fresh offering to that because everybody knew what salsa was. So sure. I didn't. So it was nice. I didn't have to educate anybody, but what I did have to do was um, show them how it could be better, and then. And then teach them to go to the refrigerated section to find it. So yes, I it, bet that was challenging. Yes, so people would. Oh, I've been. I went to every store. I can't find it anywhere. I still get people. questions about that. Mm-hmm. With like, I talk a lot about Pam Powell's Salad mm-hmm. Girl Salad Dressing, yeah. which is also in the produce section. Yep, yep. So that's that was always a challenge. But but honestly, there there's so many things because we did everything start to finish. So whether it was. Um, whether it was production equipment yep. going down, we were all, you know, how always felt like we would just keep hobbling forward. We can do it. We're still going to, I remember a day when we were getting to the end of production and we had our, for the, for the week and we had our last roll of labels that we needed to put on. Um, the other order had, was on order, but still hadn't arrived. And we get to this last roll in the pack in the box and it's, it's wound the wrong way. So all my labels, I can't. We've got all the salsa made, everything's sitting there, the orders, you know. So scratching your head and looking at it and deciding, wait, I know, I'm going to turn this roll upside down. We're going to turn every jar upside down, and we're going to label everything upside down. We'll get it out the door. I mean, there's always just always challenges and equipment going down and how do you do it. And, um, oh, my gosh. All kinds of things. Um, Did you get to where you could fix your own equipment to some degree? Yeah, I feel like I have an honorary mechanical. That's my husband too. Degree. Like mm-hmm. he could fix almost all of the equipment mm-hmm. we had if it wasn't, you know, there was some computerized stuff and yeah. software. But yeah, like the belts and the yeah, <laughs> it would just be like taping things together yep. to keep it going. Just, yep, yep, can do. Um, and actually, some of the bigger challenges. One of the bigger challenges is I had I had was I got a huge account and national account. Yep. And it was such a great moment for me. But then what happened with the ordering, they would over order 
And then they would just bill me back. And I could tell they were ordering too much. It's like, oh, that's way too much real hot. And I gatekeep this for you. Oh, no, we're going to stick with our order. And I'd send it, spend all the money to send it out all over. And then they had overordered and they would just bill me back. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go bankrupt. So how did you manage that? Did you have to have a real frank conversation with them? And Yeah, yeah. And and, and it was nail-biting, though, because you don't want to lose this yeah. account. You know, this is your big moment to have all this credibility. But they're, they're literally bankrupting you in the process. Wow. So, yeah. Okay, so you have to call the person who's doing the ordering and say, mm-hmm. you have to trust me. You're ordering mm-hmm. too much. I can't afford to keep floating you mm-hmm. all this fresh salsa product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, good for you. Um, when you think about other, were you feeling competitive at this point? Were there other fresh salsas coming online? Because I know there have been throughout the years. Yep. Yeah, you know, um, salsa was kind of slow to that. It was it was much more regional. It feels like it's only been in like the last five years yes. that I've seen other fresh salsas. Yep. And you know, when I was selling at the farmer's market, I never thought of my product as specialty or gourmet. I wanted it to be in everybody's cart every week. Yeah. I wanted that price point. I wanted that interface with the customer. I wanted that that access on the shelf. Um, and I thought about it at that time as there isn't anybody out there doing this on a national level. And and I haven't had anybody else's salsa that I think competes the way mine does. I was all natural, using fresh tomatoes with an extended shelf life. Yep. And all of those things um, were very marketable and made me different and made me made my quality higher than everybody else that I saw that I was competing against on the shelf. One of the things that I think small businesses struggle with, or all businesses, is when to add that next employee. Mm-hmm. Like what I see a lot is people just are killing themselves before mm-hmm. they'll do it. They're they're twenty percent into the need of it before they actually pull the yes. trigger. Was that for you too? Absolutely. And I think as a small business owner, it's more than just dollars and looking at the bottom line, which you guard so closely. But it's also giving up your tasks and delegating and trusting somebody else to do it or or just thinking that somebody else could do it. Yep. You hold on to everything so tight and everything it, it's all one in your mind. The whole thing is one effort. Um, and I will say that one of the things as I've, as I've grown and gotten to the level I am now, one of the most satisfying parts of being a small business and an employer is, is actually employing good people yeah. and working with somebody that, that works alongside with you and you bounce things off and, and having good people around you, it's so satisfying it's, and it feels so good. It's funny that you say that because I think in some ways employees are your biggest challenges, mm-hmm. but in the other ways they're also your biggest reward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a real sense of that you can't do this business alone right? and you value those people that are with you yep. and you want them to stay with you and it's hard to take care of them and yet you need to take care of them and it's mm-hmm. like, ah, you just lay in bed. Mm-hmm. I remember... You know, many of our employees were with us from the time they got out of college until, mm-hmm. you know, 12 years later when they were grown men and women. They'd mm-hmm. been married. They'd had children. They owned houses. Yeah. I would lay in bed at night sometimes and think, oh, my God, you know, we got to keep this all going because there's so many mouths to feed yes. riding on this. Yes. Oh, Do you think about that? It's a huge responsibility. And like, and so I, I will admit that when... um I said that I would pay, put myself on the books and I always pay myself. I wouldn't necessarily always cash those checks. 
know, it really? became, right. Well, I would eventually, but it getting cash and the and the fear of not being able to pay my employees. Yeah. If anything got tight or you know, did you have a formula of how much money you should keep in reserves for just that type of situation? Um I I liked the I like to buffer. I always we had a three mm-hmm. times payroll, yeah. sort of our rule yeah. once we got up and going. In the beginning, mm-hmm. it was one and a half, mm-hmm. and we kept that for a while. But when we finally got to where there was a little more cushion, three yeah. times payroll was always our our number. Yep, yep, and that felt like it gave us enough cushion that if you had a bad time or if something happened in the economy, that mm-hmm. we could try and recover. And cut expenses or do what we needed to do. Did you um, do all of your own marketing? Yes. Tell me about that. How did you know how to, I mean, that's a real skill. Mm. So I wouldn't say that I'm I'm any good at it. (laughs) (laughs) But what I will say, there's three ways that, these sort of three different ways you can market a product. You can either be the the cheapest one out there, price. You can either market by price. Um, you can market by hype. You can create the buzz, or you can your product markets. You know, you've got a product-driven um, brand, and that's where I am. It's it it's that the that the salsa itself is so good, um, product-driven, and so my job is to make sure that that quality always stays um, in that level. That all the decisions we make producing that that product are true to what what we know. Um, is 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 creating the sales the fact and that, you must have to keep sampling all the time yeah yep it, it, it was all it's so we'll do in store promotions and yep. things but the whole time um, building this business it has been demoing and getting people to try it and salsa is one of those categories you kind of it becomes personal that's my salsa yep and so another kind of built in piece to that is that if if that became your salsa if you tried it and and loved it. Then you would tell other people about it or you'd share it. And so that built a lot of business here in this market for sure. When you started, you started in a glass container mm-hmm. when you were started in grocery and you've since moved to a plastic container. Yep. Can you tell me about that transition and why you made that switch? And, and yep. was it difficult and did you have to change your manufacturing? So initially I sold at the farmer's market in mason jars, Yep. in glass jars. And so I was in pints and quarts. And um, when I went to... And that's because I could go to Mills Fleet Farm yeah. and buy them by myself and, and get that going. So even though I wasn't a canned product, I had that, you know, homemade look. And, sure. You know, and it was, you know, I was in a licensed kitchen, but still um, that's where it came from. Um, so when I went and, and got my first tamper evidence, and like I said, when I had to build this machine and, and get a, a product, a package ready for the conventional stores, I kept it in glass because that was what people recognized me. That's where, and because glass is 100%, you know, not just recyclable, yeah. but reusable. Yep. And it was, it was, um, I liked it. And I had that metal lid. Um, as I continued to grow in, at that level, um, the ability for me to get the glass started to get tougher and tougher because I'm not a big business, but I needed a, a steady supply and it was really difficult to work with the, within the glass industry. Yep. Um, so, and very expensive. And it got to the point where um, glass is very, well, it takes a lot to produce glass. Yep. And there's a lot of material involved in that. And because I didn't ever, I didn't hot fill 
I didn't actually need to be in glass. Okay. Um, but a lot of industries do need to be in glass um, because their temperatures are at a certain point. Um, and so I stepped away from glass in part because I didn't need to be, and it's a limited sort of, it's a limited field. There, nobody's building new glass um, manufacturing anymore. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, plastics have become more recyclable, yep. more um, sustainable, I guess. Yep. yep. I have some of the plastics that I use are made from 100% recycled plastics. Um, and there's other things to consider, too, and that is um, weight. Yep. And also truck, the amount of space. Now the plastics that I have are nesting, so I don't have rigid containers that, that take up the whole space of the truck. The truck's yep. carrying heavy glass and then air. So there's a lot of other things that come into play, even just, you know, floor space and space in the back of the coolers, the amount of refrigerated space you need because these these nest and stack or these stack now on the yep. shelf and things like that. So it seems like that was a good move for you. It has been a good move. It makes sense. I'm all about, you know, if I do anything, it's been given a lot of thought. Okay. And and it's again making sure the integrity of the product also is always maintained. Um Let's talk about, okay, so you had Salsa Lisa, then you had, you know, mild, you had hot, you had extra hot. Now talk about you've had some product extensions, and Mm -hmm. I have to believe that's like birthing a baby too. Yeah, so I had initially just my mild and my hot. And just so everybody realizes, I now call what used to be my hot, I now call medium. It's still in the red container. There's been, that happened about a year ago, but some people are still... Oh, I can't find the hot anywhere. Well, it's there. It's still the same recipe. It's just, it's just. So we have mild. Yep. We have medium. Yep. And, and we real have hot. real hot. So in the beginning, it was just my mild and my hot. Okay. And and um, then I made the real hot because my dad wanted it hotter. And didn't like, I mean, salsas kind of became sort of stunt salsas where it was like the hotter the better and right. burn your face off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's not hot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, that's okay. It's plenty hot. It's. it's <laughs> And plenty flavorful, and yeah, there's other stuff you can you can cut your teeth on somewhere. But, yep. Um, but so even with the real hot, it's like oh gosh, I we work so hard, we core all these tomatoes, peel the onions, go to all this work to make it as fresh and as fabulous, and now I'm gonna just douse it in heat. Yep. But what happened is that the way the the recipe that eventually evolved on creating the heat was so nice, and it's with habaneros, and they just have their own really great flavor, and they just and ended up just bringing up all the other flavors. So it is, even though I'm not a super spicy girl, I love the real hot. I like it too. Yeah, it's got everything. And then you kind of went into, you have a pineapple salsa and a yep. green tomatillo salsa. Yep. What, what precipitated that brand extension? You know, actually, it really did come because people continued to correspond with me from the farmer's market days still to this day. I'll get... You know, people will, if I'm out doing a demo, will stop and say, I've been buying it ever since the farmer's market. Yeah. It's so satisfying to hear that. But I was getting so many comments from people, you know, I love your product. And we've been buying it for years. And I started to think, I have such a loyal um, and cherished um, consumer base, sure. customer base. I need to, I want to bring them something more. But it took a while because in order to do that, it has to be as good as what I currently have. It's, they, these flavors, if they come out with them, have to be at the same level. They have to be special. They have to be full-flavored, and they have to have that same shelf life. And so um, just worked on it, a couple Chipotle um, 
was this is before Chipotle, mm-hmm. um, but the flavor was coming out and and it's so different. And that was a fun flavor to work with. Um, took a while again to source ingredients, get it just right. And the tomatillo, um, that's such an authentic. Uh, God, I love tomatillos. Mm-hmm. And there's and so ours is. I don't see many fresh tomatillo salsas yeah, on the market. That's my favorite one now. Mm-hmm. And it, originally I started and I was just doing the hot. And yep. um, I eat salsa a lot with eggs and tomatillos go well so well with eggs. Green eggs and ham. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, and actually the tomatillo is so nice not only to cook with that way. You can, you know, you can do slow slow cooked pork in there and let's talk about that for a second um so you have all these salsas and people put them on eggs and people put them on chips and um do you see people that use them like if you do a pulled pork for instance using your salsa as the base for the sauce Mm -hmm. yep that's what was really fun about the farmer's market because people would come back and they they were so excited yeah i this weekend i last weekend i used your salsa and i stuffed peppers i did rice and yeah. things and and used your salsa and mixed it all together and stuffed peppers i'm like that's awesome yeah i, I wouldn't have thought of that that's great yeah so yeah people get really creative um the, the tomatillo again is my favorite to cook with because you can um like i mix it with a cream sauce and use it and with shrimp and make it um, yep. enchiladas and um, it's good in soups. All of them are good in chilies. Um, I make with the chipotle a crock pot um, pot roast. Yum. Yeah. And just the chipotle in a pot roast and slow cook it. And then take some of that, the sauce that comes off of it, and mix it with mayonnaise and make chipotle pot roast sandwiches. Oh, God, that sounds so good. good. Yeah. yeah, pretty easy, too, actually. Pretty easy. Yep. And and the same with just a regular salsa and chicken Slow cooking that chicken with all of that fresh onion and garlic and jalapeno and tomatoes is wonderful. And, and it's then, a really quick shortcut. Yeah. Yep. Um, when you think of like what you're most proud of, other than we already talked a little bit about, you know, just employing people. Mm-hmm. Do you ever just like sit there and you're driving to work and you're like, damn, I got it all going on. Um, right. So there is that employee Thing. That is very satisfying. Yeah. We have employed people over this time. And like you said, see them have, you know, their families and yeah. grow and, and become a part of their life. Um, actually, someone said to me the other day, and that, this is just starting to happen, about the farmer's market. Your comment about, you know, you're one of the few to have made that transition out yeah, of there. Yeah, in a really big way. And, and it's just starting to sink in. Yeah. Actually, because we still work really hard. I still... Think of myself as as a smaller business. I I just because there's there's so many still the same people there, and we still do everything the same mm-hmm. way. And we still take the same level of care, and we still only make salsa. Um, we haven't become some kind of mass producer of things. Yep. We're still very focused on salsa. Um, so, but I'm just starting to take a look around and starting to feel really proud of yeah. Of, of the places we've gone and be pleased with your accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes it takes you till you get to, I don't know if that you've arrived, but like where it's just not such day to day man to man combat, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, right. like this is, this has been a good journey. This has been fun. Right. I've done good things. Right. And that's funny you say that because we still go in day to day and there's still lots of challenges. Honestly, if this was easy, a lot more people would be doing it, Yeah, but of it's course. super difficult. And, 
I don't want to say difficult. I, I want to say challenging. And every time we have a challenge, work our way through it, I just consider ourselves more valuable. Yeah. Um, and I've grown as a company. When you look around at the grocery store now, you you have your cart and your... Are there products that you like admire and think, wow, this is something that I think is up and coming? Um, so I did a Meet the Maker event a couple of weekends ago at the um, Roseville Byerly's. Okay. And so that's, you know, all of people that have started their company. Yeah. I remember walking around um, after the, after I got done and, and so I, some of the others were still uh, still sampling. And I remember thinking as I walked through how impressed I was with all these other foods, these cheeses and bars and all these other companies that are making really good food yeah. out there. And what I'm really impressed with is our um, our markets, you know, and our stores that continually bring these companies in and allow these really crafts, you know, craft products to come out and it's, have a place to sell. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think sometimes as consumers, we're like, oh, well, really nice if they had this, but... I do feel like as a consumer that I have a voice mm-hmm. and that what I buy and who I patronize and how I purchase things does make a difference. Yeah. Um, particularly at the level of a farmer's market or a um, co-op. But then, you know, you look at Lunds and Byerly's and Kowalski's and even, mm-hmm. you know, Whole Foods is having yeah. to carry local things in each of their markets. Yeah. That is because the demand that the consumer has placed on these stores yeah, And that is what allows someone like you or someone like me to have a product that is able to make it. Right. So I like to encourage people to try new stuff and continue mm-hmm. to buy local if you can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think one of my moments when you feel like you've arrived is when you call on Costco and they say, oh, we we knew we were going to take you uh, because we get so many consumer requests for you. Oh, that's so nice. I was Thrilled. That's a big salsa lisa day right step. there. Yep, yep. So, for example, with Costco, they do a good job too. So, I'm in the regional. Yep. Not the whole region, but in the Minnesota region. Sure. So that our product is available for, for our cons- you know the consumers that supported it all these years. So, salsa lisa is over 20 years old. Is that right? I guess so. It had such a humble beginning, and you know it's been such so many different chapters and. I even feel like I'm in book two at this yeah. point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about that. And sometimes when people come up and ask, you know, what would be your advice? And it's almost like, a, well, be careful what you wish for, because you really, the the one of the hardest things is the ability to stay committed yeah. to something for this long. So if you're going to meet someone that's a maker, you know, and you were looking at them now, People want to know, like, how much do I need to invest to make this go from, you know, what's happening in my kitchen to at least farmer's market? Is mm-hmm. there a number that you would give, like, you probably need at least $20,000 or $50,000? Do you have any sense of what that number is for that person to do what you did? So, you know, when I look at other people's journeys and yeah. and the and the path that they're taking, for me, I think I took the most difficult path you could and that is holding on to your production right from the very beginning because I was fresh and and there was never a co-packing sort of partner yeah. that made sense for Some me. Some of that so, has come up as of late. Yeah. Or more recently. Right. So there's there's more uh options I think for people to 
do co-op kitchens yep. and things like that. And um, But then at the same time, there's also way more regulations coming into effect with new FDA yep. and making it pretty difficult um, to get get through all those. Yeah, and just the licensing and the packaging laws Mm -hmm. um, are a lot more strict. Yeah. Um, So is, what do you, do you have a number that you would say if you were coaching someone? So I did it the, in the hard way, the hard way um, and built, you know, three different kitchens Um, to start my first kitchen. I would put that at about 40 to 50,000. Yeah. That's what I thought. To build that second kitchen was more like half a million. Yep. And this most recent kitchen, yeah, more than that. More than that. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at what's next, I mean, you're in you're in the big leagues now, Lisa. You are one of our success stories locally. Um, what is next? Is it expanding to other markets? I remember you were saying you expanded somewhat recently to was it Nebraska? Well, so um, I did partner uh, about five years ago. With um, a national collabo. Okay. The national uh, brand. Uh, yeah. The, yep. the avocado company. So they are start, they've been selling Salsa Lisa nationally for the last couple of years now. Was that a hard decision to make? Yes, that was. Uh, it's interesting because that summer I had been thinking to myself, looking around, I had gotten. I've got. I had gotten placement in pretty much every store in Minnesota, yep. and had done all this footwork, and had carried it through, like literally on my back. Sometimes in the big, especially in the beginning. Yep. Um, and had felt pretty accomplished by what I had done in Minnesota, and and started thinking, well, I certainly can't recreate that effort in a di- in a different market. Sure. Outstate. So how do I? You know, what's my next steps? And this was a while ago, and and five years ago. So. And uh, Calava called, and they had been looking for a salsa partner, um, and they had tried to make it themselves, looked for about a year and a half for the right partner, um, wondering if I was interested in the conversation. Certainly, I was interested in the conversation. And we talked, and I found that the reason that they that they were looking at me and the reason they were interested in my product was because they appreciated so much the things that did distinguish it from the other salsas in the country. Yep. And so right away I felt like they got it. Yep. And their and products are pretty unique too. And they're all natural. Real they, good. Yep. Mm-hmm. They needed things that differentiated. Why would we take just anybody? We yep. want we want a product that differentiates. So the conversation right from the very beginning was at such a high level that um, it was very intriguing. Um, and they've been a great partner. And that's amazing. So what do you do for fun now? I mean, do you, are you to the point where you take vacations, where mm-hmm. you enjoy your weekends off? Because so, some of that comes through trial and error too. Right. So I, actually, since the partnership, I think I've been working harder than, <laughs> <laughs> than, than I was before. But I'm working at such a higher level. Yeah, more strategic. More strategic. And it's just so compelling and so much fun to to be a part of something at that level. Well, and the business continually evolves, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like from literally packing salsa being the challenge to now figuring out your next world Logistics. domination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And and right, distribution and and the next big sales call and do we do any custom work and private label yep. and you evolve into what you become good at, you know, and what, what where your efficiencies 
you know, you still have your core business, but you do evolve and, yep. and other products that you never thought would would imp- have impact on your body, on your business. Do you have like, I have kind of a motto that I share with people when they ask me and it's always like fake it till you make it. Cause I just <laughs> think for me, that was so important to sort of pretend that I was something as I was becoming something. Mm-hmm. Do you have a motto that like speaks to you or something you tell people? Um, huh. So I think that with mine, uh, it wasn't, it was so product driven. I let, I let the momentum of the sales carry my next decision. Yep. I didn't get too far ahead of myself. Um, uh, and that I think served me in the long run, but it took a long time to, to, to stay, you had to stay committed to it and keep that going for a long period of time. And, and just for me, it was almost will, how I viewed it was just, I would will it to happen. Force of will. Force of will. And belief. Mm-hmm. And belief in what you can do and what yep. your team can do and, yep. and, and I, in your product, I guess. Right. And I've understood now more later in the game, look, you know, as I look getting to this point of yeah. looking and like realizing it, thinking, uh, I'm also realizing that I'm, I'm comfortable with risk, probably more so than a lot of people. That's a really big uh, tenant of an entrepreneur and a successful one. You know, when I look at just my experience, my husband was the risk taker and Mm -hmm. I was risk averse. Mm -hmm. And we've, we were great partners in that, in that realm because Mm -hmm. we both had the yin to the yang, but Mm -hmm. boy, those risks are hard decisions to make. Right. And, and I would always think, gosh, I, I wouldn't think that I'm lucky but because I work so hard, yeah. But I would feel really fortunate that yep. I was able to do this and, and have gratitude, and, right, sure, and 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 be like that and think, gosh, everybody would want to do this. I'm so fortunate that I get to do that. And then I start to realize that I don't think everybody, <laughs> yeah, would be a would would be able. Some people just want... like to go to work and right. you know yeah. do their nine to five and go home and right. yeah, and it not takes take a special it person, on. yeah. But but I feel really fortunate. Well, I feel fortunate that you spent so much time ah, with us today, Lisa. Uh, it is Lisa Nicholson. She is Salsa Lisa. Thank you so much for everything you've done, uh, just being in the Twin Cities and helping other entrepreneurs along the way. I really appreciate it. And thanks for being on the show today. Stephanie, thank you so much. All right. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines.